Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip down a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so uh, you know, that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you sixty thousand dollars. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. The f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Well, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tim Out. Greg Pappas on the board. We had a little green this morning. SP futures up 1650. Nasdaq futures 118 green. We're, God, my eyes are not accustomed to green this week, Greg. They're used to just like red. Red. You know, and everything's green. Isn't that nice? You know, got to catch a break once in a while. Got to yeah, I got a little, uh, is this, no, is this a relief rally, a bear market rally, or is this, we saw the bottom? That's the question. Just saying. The, What's uh, the bottom and how far is it? Yeah, well, you know what they used to say on the floor, we're down so low, it's starting to look like up. The back, it's that backwards? Uh, yeah, it's backwards something something. Yeah. Do we have Mr. Kevin? Yes, I too have been down so long that it looks like up. Yes. Um, here's an article here by Robert Frank uh, this morning that says, uh, by the way, what do we've got? People shooting in the middle. We uh, hit some targets in Syria, we meaning the U.S. of A, allegedly in uh, response to something they did to us. Although, I guess, whatever. I suppose that's the true statement. Billionaire politicians have become shockingly common around the world, new study finds. More than 11% of the world's billionaires have either run for office or become politicians. A new study says they have a strong track record around the world and lean to the right ideologically. So, guys like Kevin and uh, Carl and, uh, and Lou and Mike Murphy all leaning to the right. They all must be billionaires, I'm thinking. I'm uh, only leaning to the right because one of my legs is weak in my old age. Yes. Um, Donald Trump is running for president. I'm not so sure he's a billionaire. Well, Foxconn founder Tony Gao is angling to be Taiwan's president. This, this comes as a shock to you. China has the highest rate of billionaire politicians in the world, according to the study. Duh. <laughs> they make all the dough, right? Anyway. Surprise, Russia's not on there. Well, maybe. well if, if, you're, if you put a billion into your yacht and your yacht is being sequestered, is it still your yacht? Can you count that on your balance sheet? Well, it depends. You know, you, look, if you don't want to be sequestered, just, you know, send $3 million to Hunter Biden and you come off the list. Um, what do you think it costs you to maintain? That's pretty much what happened. What do you think has to, is the maintenance of one of those things? You don't just put one in the, the diversity harbor and hook it up to the uh, the power, do you? You must have the... You got, you got people who do that for you. You got guys? You got guys? Yeah, you got a guy. Oh, the... Uh, Speaking of uh, 
we went uh we did a seminar down in uh in the Bahamas it was back in uh, this says that uh, yearly operating cost of a super yacht is um, close to ten percent of the boat's value wow ouch yeah well the, the uh what's that big huge place that was the like one of the neatest places in the world now I guess it's a little bit of disrepair I don't know the Atlantis the hotel that has the two big towers with the one bridge kind of in the middle it's Michael Jordan's suite or something Anyway, we did a seminar down there. We didn't stay there, of course. That was too nice. But we went down there one night and uh, walking around, all these people from Central and South America. Some dudes down there got some real, some real cash. These guys are walking around with pairs of shoes on. It probably cost more than my whole, my whole wardrobe. And you, you could, they had these big, huge boats, right? I mean, some of them. I'm standing on the dock, and the bow is, you know, five feet over my head. They're, they're biggies. And the deal was, I think you could rent one to stay on. For, you know, not a whole hell of a lot. It was like 10 grand a week or something. For, you know, it was food for maybe 10 people, 8 people in, in the staterooms, the whole bit. And if you wanted to go anywhere to fill the thing up, <laughs> to take it for a ride was like, I don't know how many gallons of diesel you had to put in a thing to go someplace. I mean, so you basically just sat out of the dock unless you really had some scratch and then you, then you got to go for a ride in the thing. Otherwise, you just slept there. It's kind of weird. Yep. Hey, regarding the uh, the billionaire uh, politicians, um, you know, it, you sort of uh, think back to uh, Chinatown, the movie Chinatown, when you yeah. have uh, um, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson asking, um, um, "Come on, come on, what's the uh, the actor's name?" Oh, uh, okay, no, oh, no, you're talking about it. I, I forgot. It's, uh, uh, IMDb is your friend. Um, but he, he says, you know, how how much more? How much more do you want? How much, you know? He, he asks him, how much are you worth? And he goes, oh my, yes, more. And uh, um, and then he says, well, well, how much? Uh, what, you know, what more do you want? And he says, the future, Mister Gets. I yeah. want the future. Yeah, it's a. I didn't like him because Faye Dunaway got killed. Um, <laughs> poor Faye. Yeah. Life's life's tough, John Houston. There you go. Uh, yeah, John Houston playing Noah Cross. So, uh, um, yeah, it's it, it's you know, uh, how much more do you want? I want the future. There you go. There's your bumper, Greg. Yep, I want the future. It's the title of the show. Uh, plus, I, I absolutely loved her in uh, uh, Three Days at a Condor, and I loved that she was driving one of those old Ford Broncos, which are the world's greatest trucks. She was a pretty good Bonnie Parker, too. Yeah, yeah. But she wasn't in a Ford Bronco back then. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I like it when he, he grabbed her. Not only was she smoking hot, but she was driving a great truck. That was, that was a great movie. I mean, a very kind of a cult movie, but uh, that could happen today. <laughs> don't you think? For those that don't know, uh, Robert Redford was working for this group, and what they did was they, they read books, right, right Kevin? Because people felt... The, it was like a CIA thing or something, and the uh, people felt that if you wanted to descri- describe or uh, not describe, if you wanted to publish, essentially some revolutionary activity, you would write a novel, and in the novel it would describe what you were doing, or something along those lines. So they had a group of people that like read every new book, and finally Robert read fi- Robert Redford's finds something in one of the books, just that they were lo- just like they were looking for. And he must, have, and he sent it up the chain to the people with the CIA. Was it the CIA or the NSA? One of those, one of those groups. And he goes out and uh, 
and he gets everybody lunch. When he comes back, everybody's been brutally murdered, the whole group. So then he get, he ends up taking off, and he whatever he uh, he carjacks Faye Dunaway in the Bronco, basically without a gun, uh, and heads off. And I, I don't remember the end of it, end of it, but uh, that was basically the deal. They were they were re- they were reading books looking for patterns of uh, revolutionary activity or something, wasn't it, Kevin? And then uh, they found a pattern, and they ran it up the chain. They all got killed. You know, your, your typical sort of anti-government movie. But, uh, yeah, they're very good. All very good. Yeah. It was, <laughs> you, you, know, you ever saw that one, did you, Greg? I don't imagine you did. I don't uh, think so. It's, it's put, a, put it on your list. It's uh, pretty interesting. Plus, you get to see Young Fade on away in a great Bronco. Um, Kevin, this uh, war stuff going on. Um, I got to talk a little bit about war stuff. Plus, I dug further into this article on the... Uh, I'm going to read a little. Let's just kind of set the tone here. This is out of this New York Times article on, on the foot, footsball. Uh, it says the collective. This is a collective system where everybody gets paid. Uh, <coughs> New York identif- The New York Times identified more than 120 collectives, including at least one for every school in each of the five major college football conferences. The average starter at a big-time football program now, now takes in about 103,000 a year, according to Open Doors, whoever that is, a company that processes payments to the players for the collectives. Wow. This year, Open Door said it ex- expects to process over $100 million in payments for athletes by 80% coming through the collectives. In tandem with, with the loosening of tran- transfer restrictions, which no longer require athletes to sit out a year if they change schools, the scale of the available payments has become a critical factor as coaches seek to retain the best players and poach talent from rival schools. Uh, the most important thing in college football, says Kyle Winningham, do we know him? Head coach of the University of Utah. Yeah, he's an outstanding coach. Uh, this month's Utah Crim- Crimson Collective announced that every scholarship football player will be able to drive a new $61,000 Dodge, Dodge truck at no cost. Uh, I'm going to say that it may not be cost, but there's income there, isn't there? Or the IRS... Yeah, oh, no, that's that's taxable income. Um, the IRS seems really behind on this one. I don't know why. Uh, uh, most important... Do we, know, do we know they're not taxing it? Do we know they're not being uh, 1099 on this? They're allowing somebody's the places so far to be these charitable organizations, which, in my opinion, are not charitable well, organizations. That, that's different, and that's and, and you've talked about that all week, and that's yeah. that's a case, you know, a, a separate case. But as far as the players are concerned, that's got to be taxable income. Yeah. Well, what's the uh, so what's the income on it? You, you work for a five hundred one c three. You're still paying taxes on your income. I'll, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a real stupid bet and say, a lot of these dudes driving these trucks. Are not are not going to send the money until the IRS comes calling, unless they unless they have an advisor that says, "Hey, good buddy, you better send this in." Maybe not, but I I, I do suspect that they're getting some financial advice. I would hope so. Uh, it, not just from you know would be agents or people like that, but it, it's you know the the schools can be um, uh, pretty callous in in how they care for their players at times. But I think that's one that that's something they don't want blowing up on them. Um, the, uh, they, have a, they have an interest in, in it being done right. So I'll get a load of this. There's an outfit here called the the Swarm Collective. Uh, it has a charitable arm and a non-charitable arm. There's, there's a, you remember this guy, uh, uh, Cade McNamara, quarterback who helped Michigan reach the college football playoff 2021, entered the transfer portal after losing a starting job last season. I think I remember that name. Uh, yeah, I, I remember him. Mr. McNamara said money was an explicit part of his search for new school, at least he's honest, got an offer from a collective from the University of Iowa called the Swarm Collective. 
once it was put into writing, that's when I knew I would be getting if I went to Iowa. So he went to Iowa. Swarm Collective said its charitable arm had indeed hired Mr. McNamara, who suffered a game-ending knee injury on September 30th, for a job delivering meals to seniors and visiting children in hospitals. It pays them $600 an hour. The group also has a for-profit arm, Swarm Inc., which pays them even more to make ads for Collective's corporate supporters. So that's the one where they're actually trying to make money and giving him... Look at a load of this. NCAA rules prohibit collectives. Prohibit rules. Useless. From offering compensation as a recruitment tool. <laughs> Despite Mr. McNamara's assertion that the collective offered him a job before he transferred, the collective uh, denied it. <laughs> the, the guy says they, they offered it to me. They said, no, we didn't. I, you know, Kevin, is, is, has anybody ever gone to jail for perjury in the last 30 years? No, it's not perjury, though, if, uh, um, if, if he says it to the media. Um, I, I'm going to say if they, well, let's put it this way: somebody should be looking at it, and and whoever these somebodies are, somebody nobody wants to look at anything. It's, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's no, I, I I say we we take them outside and beat them up with sticks, but um, you know, but but there's no legal recourse on that, other than the fact that they're violating an NCAA rule, and even that doesn't have legal recourse. That just has. Uh, uh, implications for the uh, school. So, you know, does the NCAA have the stones to go step in and do something about that? Um, um, they've, they've been totally feckless in this whole uh, emergence of uh, name, image, and likeness. And as I've said all along, it, it has been uh, uh, more than a decade of court cases uh, leading up to the decision. You would think somewhere along the line somebody might have said, you know, we could lose these cases and we might have to have some kind of mechanism in place to govern this. And, of course, they didn't. And uh, so, you know, you're kind of seeing what happens when uh, when nobody does any risk assessment or contingency planning. Um, well, like in every other business. Well, remind me, uh, if you remember, because what was the one episode, I'm going to say right before COVID, where all of a sudden the FBI got involved in college recruiting and went after the, the coaches from uh, Missouri and something, something. It, it did cross over from an NCAA rule into the legal system. What was, what was that all oh, about? The, the, it was because they, they were uh, accepting bribes and, uh, um, wor- and working for uh, public, you know, publicly funded institutions. Uh, but, but there were lots, there were parts of that investigation that were not... Um, you know that were not criminally charged, um, but got people into NCAA trouble because the investigators were more than happy to just list all everything they found, and they they did not share the names of the universities involved to things that were that were uh, not violations of the legal system. So you would have things like Louisville was referred to as University Six, but they were never they were never charged with anything. Course, when they described University Six, uh, they they referred to it as a um, uh, public university that uh, had X number of students. All the stuff you could get right off of their website. Well, there's a uh, yeah. I don't want to go too far into this, but there's an amazing stuff you learn when you're on when when you when you just stuff you learn when you do stuff. When I was on the CBOE board. And you had your your huge institutions that had people on the board. If, without calling out any names, if one or two of those people were found to be serial rule breakers, it would never. the 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 board would actually sit there, and you say the look on everybody's face. 
we're going against those guys? No, man, there's got to be some mistake. They, could, they couldn't possibly. We could never, by the way, the guy the guy on there sits right next to me at the board meeting. How can we call out the firm while he's sitting there? It, it is amazingly collegial. I can only imagine what it's like going up against a, a university. If you're like the FBI or somebody. Or anybody, even the NCAA. They, every time they try and go up against like Kentucky for basketball or Carolina, they just, it's almost like they're, they're, they're going under the altar and trying to arrest Christ or something. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. They just, well, they, they just it, don't it, want to do it. Sure, and you see that where, um, you know, what was uh, Tarkanian's old joke? Uh, UCLA uh, just com- uh, bought another player, so uh, um, uh, UNLV is, is going to have to pay for it by going on probation. Yeah, well, what is his wife? Remember Tark's wife? Yeah. Yeah, Greg was before your time. She he had she looked, a, looked like a, an aging country singer. Oh, yeah, she had the huge hair, pretty lady, uh, but she was a little outspoken. <laughs> And they went on probation for something. She goes, they interviewed her. And she goes, I don't get it. Our, our guys show up at the game in letter jackets. The UCLA guys show up in fur coats, and we're on probation. <laughs> so wasn't that her quote or something like that? Back when guys used to wear fur coats, when, when Clyde was wearing the fur coats to the Nick games, Walt Frazier. Yeah. Fur coats were the rage for a while, uh, showing you had money. If you had one, a fur coat. One of, the, uh, one of the all-time great lines came from Reggie Theus when he was on the Bulls, and I think they had... Um, they had Sam Smith and maybe Clifton Pondexter on the team, all UNLV guys, and he said, one, one more UNLV guy here, and the Bulls are going to have to go on probation. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kevin is, is, a, is a professor uh, but observant guy. What, what do you make of the connection here between Middle East oil markets? Uh, some, you know, some investors are nervous, some aren't. Some stocks are absolutely getting obliterated. Uh, UPS has been down like every single day for the last couple of weeks. I mean, the, some of your in, internal market stocks are getting hammered. The GDP note yesterday was a huge surprise to the upside. I don't believe that number at all, uh, unless there's a lot of defense spending in there. The and I don't know what the deflator is. I'm gonna try and find that today. It's pretty, you know, sometimes hard to find that number. Maybe Carl has it. He probably does. Uh, somehow or another, there's what did they get? What did Thompson say in Hunt for? Uh, Hunt for Red October. This, this, this stuff is liable to get out of hand here. At how, how do you, how does your economy grow by five percent? Your tax receipts go down, and your biggest delivery company keeps going down every day. Some of the stuff does not compute, as the computer used to say in Lost in Space. No, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Um, now maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we have expecting uh, the government to make sense. Yeah, Yeah, Greg says you're expecting the government to make sense. No, I, I don't. I actually don't. <laughs> but it's conceivable that there's some anomalies in there that over time will straighten themselves out, but I'm not buying into that either. Um, the, uh, you know, the numbers are going to say what they need them to say. Uh, that, that's how it works. And, you know, it's it's too bad. It's too bad we can't trust them, but we don't, I don't. Um, and uh, so, you know, what are you going to do? Um the, you, you just you, you know you you put your you, you got to do your own homework on this stuff, and unfortunately we don't have a society in general that's equipped to handle that. Uh, well, if, if something it, gets too high, really when it come when it comes down to it, you you know it, it's it's the difference. It, it's always that difference, and I, I talk about this all the time: is the difference between data and information. 
and you know information is into the weeds data is just the raw numbers they like to report to us um, but information requires you to actually organize the data to look for trends to ask those questions like you're asking right now and uh, and to make some sense of it that that we don't get that out of media so well you know we don't we don't get uh, we don't get a lot out of media and I know I'm gonna two things I'm gonna say when I when I was doing the uh, cost of living stuff at Pullman and for the contracts and for the unions uh, I had a feeling Kevin and as I became a trader and Dr. J and I used to ride in every morning to work and talk about this stuff both ways I had a, I had a feeling that there was an institutional uh, lag to the CPI numbers that somehow or another even though they, they try to do it every month the it, it, it seemed like they were three to four months behind maybe even six both entering the inflationary period and exiting it that there was a certain amount of drag to it and I, I, I could never but I never I never really thought they were cheating I never actually thought you know uh, when I was putting the numbers together for Pullman when the number was the percent the inflation the last quarter was uh, you know two or three percent which it was I never really thought it was eight and they were lying to me it seemed like they were right pretty much all the time or they were pretty damn close I don't feel that at all right now I don't think it's just me getting older I just I just think these guys are absolutely cheating and I don't think they were back then maybe it's the medical part that's the, that's skewing the difference the fact that uh, 6% of the backs and it's 21% of the economy or 20% so maybe it's that maybe it's the weightings that are different but something is absolutely not right here and it hasn't been for really quite a while and nobody seems to want to fix it. I mean, if you were to, if you were to take the the medical number and make it twenty percent and go back to two thousand, we've had a recession for twenty three years for God's sake. If you look if you look at the deflator that would create, I mean, uh, so I mean it, it's 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 totally different than it was in nineteen seventy something. In, in my mind, in terms of, uh, I think the 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 wrong numbers back then was was due to delay and due to something. I just don't think we were that sinister as a government back then in terms of, I mean, I, I mean when you read the body counts, when people were, they didn't tell you, you know, 20 people died when 100 people died. I mean, you know, I, there, was some, there was some honesty. It wasn't like you didn't have crooks. I mean, you had all kinds of crooks, but it, you know what I'm saying? This whole mess that you, I mean, you would never in those days when the bunny supply numbers were horrible, nobody would ever thought of saying, well, we're just not going to give them to you anymore, like this guy Biden did. I mean, that's that's a to- and nobody cares. Maybe, you know, I, well, that, it- that's the part is nobody cares. So you either have the people who are supposed to report this stuff are either complicit or they're stupid or potentially both. Well, yeah, I wonder what the difference is, and where's where's Doctor Blade when we need him? I don't think the average citizen right now, with with uh, Nancy, who who's in, uh, was it Jan was talking about how many people have? Uh, or, no, it was Russell. How many people essentially have two jobs, or a, a, a job and a part-time job, and their wife is working, or the wife has the job and the part-time job, and the husband? How many? We're talking about two and a half people sometimes working in a in a family. I don't know that you have time. I mean, you are a professor. You're supposed to be up on stuff. Okay, I that's what I do for a living. I'm supposed to watch this stuff so my people can be doctors and whatever else they do. That's my job. So I mean. But I don't. I, but I, would I expect some guy operating on somebody's 
you know, brain at, at 11 in the morning to call him up and say, hey, do you see what the spoos are doing? I would hope he doesn't know, <laughs> right? Well, I, I understand that, Tom, and that and that's that's a little weedier, but basically to be able to, to listen to a report on the unemployment numbers, to listen to a report um, on, on just about anything, you know, that requires some basic knowledge of economics, and that basic knowledge of e- economics doesn't exist. So people listen to the reports, and and when when some reporter comes on and says we created uh, uh, you know four hundred thousand jobs last month and the unemployment rate fell to something and you're sitting there going okay uh, now you, you're either going to say not my experience with this whole mess so I'm going to be a total cynic and I'm going to reject everything they say or you're going to nod and say good job and a lot of that is going to depend on who's you know who's the uh, political uh, uh, party in power and where you affiliate. So this just becomes self, you know, uh, uh, affirming, basically. Well, I actually, I actually have a different view on the party part. I think whatever one party gets away with for four years, whoever is the next four years, either the same party or the other guys, realize that that's now, that's now the baseline of what you can get away with and you try and get away with more. That's interesting. Yeah, you may be right. I'd have to think about that. But What was the... Uh, the poster back in the day, and we'll go to break. It was the. Uh, well, all I ask is the uh, was it the, the courage. The courage. Oh, that's the serenity prayer. Yeah. yeah the. Uh, um, oh my God! My goodness! The. Um, uh, was the courage yeah. to, to change the things I can? Uh, something to, to withstand the things I it's can. It's the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. So, you know, you want to recognize what uh, what you can change and what you can't change. Um, the courage to change what you can, and, but the wisdom to know the difference. Well, Friday we usually try and tie up some of the week because I remember in all the interviews with everybody, and, and you you do wonder if you take that poster, and yesterday we were talking about uh, Karen Reeves' election, and we were talking about the mayor election here in Chicago. I think most people now, maybe whatever reason, now you've had experience in, in uh, smaller areas where you actually were able to make a difference, uh, politically, um, I talked in a long conversation with a, a lady uh, who just retired, by the way, out of Portage. That was the state senator from Portage in Indiana. One of the nicest people I've ever talked to. All she did was talk about how much she learned and how much she had to work to be a to be a state senator in Indiana because how much they try to do a good job. And she just comes to a cookout and sits next. She shows they have like eight guards or anything. And uh, and uh, you know, I don't know that in some of these bigger cities or nationally. We almost haven't given up. We just say, I, I can't make any difference. I can't make a head or tail. I'm, I'm just leaving Chicago. Or I'm just never going there again. God, Kevin, you can't, you can't do that. I don't, I don't think these people have any idea of, of the, the incredible amount. I won't call it racism. But they just don't want to be anywhere where or them and their kids or two guys pile out of a car with a gun and do something to them and there's no retribution whatsoever. They, they just won't come here. They're leaving here. And I don't, I don't think these people understand that. I, I, I don't get it. And I don't, I don't. Th- I think most people are voting with their feet and not with the ballot box. And America is not supposed to be like that. I mean, I don't know what we're doing nationally. We can't all leave. Obviously, they're doing that in Venezuela, right? <laughs> all these other places. What do, you mm-hmm. suppose, what do you suppose it's like in Syria? We hit those guys last night. What if you're a person trying to live in Syria? For God's sake, you got to wonder what, what your parents did wrong to the big guy upstairs where you got, you, you were born there. I mean, good Lord, S&P futures down only up nine now. We were up twenty. We came in. 
As they futures up 103. I hope this rally holds. It's going down every day. It's getting really old. Uh, be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. And jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. we got some good news here. Let's talk about it while we're still up. SP Futures up 11. NASDAQ Futures up 109. A big mover last night was uh, Amazon. It came out with a... Uh, Good earnings. The uh, up eight bucks, one twenty-seven sixty-six. That's good. The day before, Microsoft had terrific earnings, and they were up. Held the Dow up on uh, where are we? On Wednesday, even though the rest of the market was getting clobbered. Yes, they gave it all back and then some. So, uh, if, if you got if you're in the in the up up move, you got to enjoy it for a second because it sure doesn't mean like it's staying there. But it, maybe today, maybe today. Over Nikkei, Nikkei up three eighty-nine. So they stayed up one point three percent. They've had a horrible week. Hang Seng up 354, bouncing back up over 17,000, 17,398. So uh, they've, they've uh, uh, put a tourniquet on the bleeding, at least for a little while. Shanghai up 29, that's 1%. So pretty strong all, all across the board. And uh, the mainland China bucks uh, broader Asia markets saw Australia shares close at one year low. So Australia shares not doing so hot. Uh, as a way of review yesterday, Dow was down 251, S&P down 49. Remember, they were down 60 the day before. That's a lot. It's only th- almost 2.5%, 3% in one, two days. NASDAQ down 225. It came up a little bit on the close. We were actually down more than that. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 14.1%. Uh, FTSE down 14.1%. CAC around down 68. That's a full 1%. Uh, not sure why exactly uh, CAC around is down more than anything else. Uh, bonds up three basis points, 487 uh, still off to 5% to the low side, so, uh, but, you know, hanging right there. The Bund unchanged 284, Japan unchanged 8.88. Oil, up a buck 39, 84.60, rent up 148, 89.41. Natural gas up 13 cents, 334. Oil's uh, amazingly steady to low with all the stuff going on in the Middle East. Our Bob, however, is up 3 cents, 229. If we can next week, maybe we'll uh, ask Tom Shanahan to call in. He sent me a study regarding the crack spreads between gasoline and diesel, and I don't think I've ever seen them this far out of whack. We'll, we'll go through that uh, uh, maybe on Monday if we can with Greg here because he knows all about this stuff too. Uh, gold down 580, 1991, staying in the 1990s, threatening to go through 2000, but just can't do it yet. Silver down seven cents, 22.83. Copper up three cents, 361. Crypto, which has been on a tear, 
up 37 bucks, 34,038. So it's down from the 35, but still way up from the under 30 it was for a while. U.S. dollar finally uh, up a little bit with the uh, Europe down to 105.4 and uh, the British pound 121. Just a little, not much movement there. Greg, what do you got for us? Traffic weather sports. Good morning, everyone. 637 here in Chicago. 65 degrees right now. 71 today with straight thunderstorms. Phoenix. Got 67 right now um, and 87 today. Mostly sunny. Uh, bad air conditions, though. So grab uh, grab your inhaler and or a mask. Or just don't um, breathe. Or don't breathe. It should be pretty quick in that yeah. case. Uh, traffic. Inbound Kennedy, Montrose to the interchange is 21 minutes. Inbound Edens Lake from Lake Cook is 38 minutes. Ike from Wolf is 22 minutes. And the Ryan from 95th to the interchange is uh, 19 minutes. Inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 25 minutes. Sports, Bucks lose at Bills last night. That was 18 to 24. I think they covered though. They were big underdog. And uh, yeah, it was it was eight points I believe at the start of the game. And World Series, Diamondbacks at Rangers, game one tonight. Can so. either of you sports mavens explain to me why the uh, Rangers are such favorites? I thought these teams were pretty equal. Showed you what I know. Well, they've got the current favor of uh, the fans. I mean, they need to they need to get some people on the other side of that bet. Or at uh, least the bookies do. Maybe we should do that. You take We're a small, gambling. small, small bet. Kind of like you. There's no such thing as a small bet. Got a hunch? Bet a bunch. They say. Bet a bunch. Bet a bunch. Well, that's words to live by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then there was the other one where the guy had the T-shirt that said, uh, "Don't drink and trade small. If you drink and trade, trade big." You know. No, it's the uh, <laughs> got a hunch, bet a bunch. We we ran into. Got to talk about a wacko story. We we're out in Las Vegas at one of these conventions, and we meet these three guys. Back, this is how how crazy the world was before the internet, Jen. Uh, all these firms would put out uh, their. In the morning, you know, you have the Goldman Sachs that put out their buy list and this and that. This was like allegedly really, you know, hot information where they'd actually call their best customers. And that's why guys would charge so much for uh, commissions, is you would actually do all the research on these stocks for people. Uh, and, the, and the person, who, the people who got like the, the biggest guys at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and Solomon Brothers allegedly got the best information out of those places before anybody else. And then it would sort of filter out. Uh, and uh, these guys, three people named Jerry, Antony, Antony from uh, New Jersey, and Gary put something together called JAG Notes, J-A-G Notes, and they would call up their buddies at the crack of dawn and try and steal all, all the stuff, well, it was given to them, all of, like the Morgan Stanley, the Smith Barney, everybody's buy and sell recommendations for the day, and they and they put them on a piece of paper and they'd fax them out to everybody if you paid them for it. What a, what a world that was. These guys are absolute characters. That's where the guy goes, hey, if we're going to trade, you got to have some cayunes. Got a hunch, but a bunch. Well, that was Anthony, right? Go that, was Anthony. that was Anthony. Okay. That was Anthony. But anyway, they, they made a pretty solid living for a while before you know the internet popped up and all of a sudden, you know, no firm gives anybody any recommendations because nobody wants to pay commissions, so why do anything for them, basically? Uh, you know, that's you're, you're, if you're if you're doing stuff for free, guess what? They're not the customer anymore. The person you're selling the order flow is the customer, and we don't seem to understand. You talk about people not understanding uh, the political system and the numbers they're getting. 
they sure as hell don't understand what's happened to their orders on our end, you know, in, in this industry. And everybody's convinced they're an expert, and they're really not. What do you mean it's free? Nothing's free. What do you mean nothing's free? <laughs> nothing's free. I mean, anyway, I was mentioned early, Kevin. I, I really miss in times of uh, now. It's, it, maybe it's someplace, and I just am too dumb to get it. But I really almost harken back to the day when we had a group, a big house in Beverly, and our, the U.S. News World Report would land on your door every Tuesday, and I could open it up, and I guarantee you there would be a 20-page article about who's who in the Middle East, who's got how many rockets, who many's got this, where their bases are, with a bunch of maps explaining everything where. And I, 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 re- I really miss that, you know, and I, I'm sure somebody's doing it somewhere, but all in color, or to get, even a guy like I could understand it, where, you know, maybe a guy like Mike Murphy is writing the stuff saying this group in, in Syria's got, you know, this many Toyota pickup trucks with, with uh machine guns in them. I don't think it's really hard to find out who's who, where the money's coming from, and, and who's got what stockpiled and who can do what damage. I can't, it's got to be someplace. I just can't find it easy like I used to be able to. And, and this is supposed to be a day and age where all the stuff's available. I think it was way more organized when they actually had these national magazines. Or was that just me? Oh, the, the national magazines still exist, and they have online versions, so if they are still doing that kind of reporting... I'll bet they aren't. Then I'm going to take okay. a look. I'll take a look. So, I mean, I, but, you know, there's something about having the thing right in front of you reading it. But, again, that's another story. But, uh, well, yeah, you know, and that's, you know, electronic uh, uh, electronic books versus, um, you know, having a hard copy. I'm, I'm with you. I really like the uh, tactile experience of holding it and uh, as I read it. Um, there seems to me that this Middle East situation, uh, and, you know, obviously Mike and Lou know a hell of a lot more what's going on over there. The amount of the amount of players involved, the amount of bad nicks, uh, and the amount of money flying back and forth, and who's profiting—it it just got me really nervous. Am, am I just getting old, or what? Well, you can get old and still have be nervous. Yeah. They, did you see the uh, Wall Street Journal report out yesterday that uh, uh, the people who uh, led the attacks on Israel uh, actually spent several weeks ahead of time training in Iran? Really? Yeah. Well? So, you know, I mean, being trained by, you know, by Iranian military, etc. Um, it's a... I guess you got to get trained someplace. So it's, it's really un- unreal. I mean, but it doesn't take much to light... It's not, it's not the people who, who, you know, who light the fire is where the fire goes, right? Well, it is, and, you know, as I mentioned to you yesterday, too, um, you know, so if if we're going to drop bombs, which we did yesterday or overnight, um, so if we're going to do that and that's seen as an act of war, um, you know, is there anything that's going to stop the Iranians from uh, mining the Strait of Hormuz so that they can shut down oil? And, and if they do, are we in a position to be able to absorb that? And I would say the answer is no, since we've depleted our strategic reserves by 45% since. Um, you know, that's an argument that you and, I, you and I are absolutely on the opposite side of the page on that one. I, I don't, uh, not that they depleted them, but it, I don't even know what that thing does anymore. I mean, the, the, this whole, if, if you and I were, were arguing like we would anyway in the Oval Office, I'm not so sure, what's the number? What do we, what do we want in there? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just because we had seven hundred, what we had seven hundred million barrels when Obama was in office, and it went down to what six forty when Trump was in office. Now it's in what three fifty or something. 
and uh, but our production is up a bunch. I mean, what what I I, I don't, well, I don't so so well uh, so is our consumption. So you know you you, you got to keep that no, in no, mind. No, too much. How much more is it up? Uh, oh, we find all new ways to consume oil. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> I suppose that, that's not an issue. Um, so the 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 question, Tom, is. Uh, as you look at that, what are you trying to accomplish with it? And I think that's what you're asking. Um, so what do you want to accomplish with the strategic oil reserve? Well, you want to be able to absorb, um, you know, let, let's just say we, we have the ability to ramp up production uh, substantially. Um, how long is that going to take? Okay. And, and once you answer that question, uh, then you have a pretty good idea of how much oil you need because well, you need you need to be able to cushion the blow. I'm not. I don't get the uh, connection you need between to be able to cushion the blow up uh, as as long as it takes for uh, for us to ramp up domestic oil production. What I mean, I don't at, at ten million or eleven million barrels a day. That's that's what seventy days when it was full. An hour thirty five days. Yeah, I haven't done the math, so I can't tell you that. Uh, I'm trying to do it here in my oh, head. And, and, and you're not going to do a one-to-one substitution. You're right. just going to want to cushion the blow. And, you know, what? There's what's the connection between oil for the military and oil in that reserve? None, maybe. You know, I, I, I'm saying I, I don't know what the... You're right, it's down. I don't know what the... the I also think, Kevin, it, it might be a money number. We're broke. What makes you think they just didn't sell it because they needed a dough? And they don't... And they don't would you really? Well, no, 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 no. The, because because we know what the timing of it was, Tom. Uh, the timing of it was when gas prices were high. People were right. putting stickers on the pumps with Joe Biden pointing to the uh, um, price of the gas right. and saying, "I did that." So we we know what was driving it. It was a political decision, and it was a political decision ahead of the midterm elections to try and drive down the prices. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Are okay. You, well, but what, what is what? But what is everything these people do is a political decision. Trump wanted to wanted to send out bigger checks to everybody, and the Congress wouldn't let him. And I I think if he would have sent out the bigger checks, he'd have won. And, it, and uh, that was a political decision. Was that did that make any sense to print money and send people a check? No, of course not. But don't. But we weren't talking about Trump at the moment. We well, were what I'm saying, but he, well, we they both said about this decision and this, de- and, and some look. Some decisions are security decisions, and yet Trump wanting to spend more money. Uh, I, you know, you know how I feel about that. It was it, we we dumped so much money in there that that's responsible for wave one of inflation. So yeah, there's but I'm, no, I'm saying if, if, if I'm if, not arguing with you about that. Not really the point, though. Well, the it is the point. point. Is, um, no, it, it, it absolutely the is the point. point. Is the point is that we sacrificed security, the security that was the reason behind the uh, strategic oil reserve. We st- we sacrificed that in favor of political expediency. I I I don't. Out of all the stuff people do, I mean, I I don't know the answer, Kevin. I I mean, every everybody does everything politically. Okay, the, the gas prices are going up. Everybody says, "Hey, you got to do something." And if you and I are sitting there in the Oval Office and go, "By the way, we got the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Do we even need this thing? Do we ever? Gonna, is it ever going to be used militarily? Is it ever? It's seven hundred million barrels. What if it was? 
What if it was 350 and somebody's going to say it wouldn't make a damn bit of difference? Okay, that's an easy one. Let's tell people we're helping them out with the gas and pump some crap out of there. By the way, we'll sell it. We'll make some money. I mean, I'm saying I don't know why it was 700 other than it was 700. You know what I'm saying? I, it, there may, maybe it should be two million, two billion. I don't know. But is, but is anybody, there's more than people make political decisions all the time. They don't necessarily, I'm not, is our life any different with, with the 350 in there versus 700? I don't feel any less secure. I, I'm just saying, I, I'm, more, I'm more concerned if our if our production was going down. You you will feel less secure if, and, and have we not seen this before? Have we not seen uh, uh, boycotts out of oil producing countries uh, because of our support for Israel? By the way, this is like the 10th time that they that they drew, drew uh, oil out of those things. And then nobody even knows the other 10. I'm looking at them going, they, for that? A couple of hur- doing it. Well, they, cook, they took it out for the hurricanes. They took it out for all kinds of stuff. I, I'm, I wonder why. But, now, but well, right, are, are the hurricanes a legitimate use? I, mean, I, I have no idea. Can have a, uh, because that was a disruption in supply. I'm, um, I'm thinking they drew it down because they were worried about getting damaged somewhere. I don't, I'm not even sure. It was, but there, it's been like 10 or 15 times in the last 10 years we've drawn the thing down. I, why? Every one of them was some kind of decision from somebody. It just, yeah. I mean, I, I, in other words, I guess I think it, I don't think it was the, the right thing to do, Kevin, but and, and the, in the vernacular, it's, it's just like we don't have any oil because of the Keystone Pipeline. And yet the details of the Keystone Pipeline was, it had nothing to do with us. It was Canadian oil going to the, to, to the Gulf where the refineries were set up for Venezuelan oil that they didn't have anymore, the heavy, sandy crap. And we were going to essentially take Canadian oil through our country down to there so they could export it. It had nothing to do with you and me getting gas, or very little. And yet well, it, it, it does in terms of the world supply, though, does it not? Well, guess what? We just open the thing up to Venezuela. It's the same crappy oil, and it's going to the same place. It gets us right to the same spot. Now, I'm just... If, if there's going to be a pipeline coming into the uh, Chicago because, so we can all have gas, I guess I'm for it. I want Building one across some places where people don't want it, for Canadian oil, I'm yeah, I'm a toss up on that. When I, I would have said go ahead and build it, but it would have been a, it was kind of a flip of a coin decision. It's not, it's, it's certainly not like the the pipeline. Well, it, it it wouldn't have made any difference when most people were bitching about it, but by now uh, it would be substantially up and running. So, well, I don't know what the tar sands. You know, you know what that stuff got down to, Kevin? At one time, we talked so once in a while about, uh, and, and Greg knows more about this, is is basis. You know, in basis, when people look at oil and they say, "Okay, well," and then this morning I just did it. It's oil's eighty, whatever, eighty-five dollars, and people in their mind go, "Well, yeah, oil's eighty-five bucks." Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oil's eighty-five bucks at the refinery or at Cushing, Oklahoma. It's not eighty-five bucks if if you and I go out in the backyard and uh, dig a hole. All of a sudden, some oil comes out of it. We got to uh, get uh, it. We, bubbling crude. Yeah, we yeah, we do like us and Jed. Uh, you know, we we got to we got to get it someplace, and if we're nowhere near close to. Uh, you know, a, a pipeline or even a road for that matter. Um, one of the ladies, I don't know if she's still alive, used to listen to the show from Pennsylvania. Jan and I were on the air. She used to come to town to do uh, nursing conventions, and one morning she just happened to listen to us. So she became a big fan, started emailing me. Well, she started telling me her, her husband with, with a, a bunch of guys, and of course, you know, it was long before she even met the guy. If you ever drive through Pennsylvania, you look around, all you see are these mountains with trees on them. You wonder who the hell even lives here. Then you'll see a river with like a town carved out of it with a little steel mill in there, and that's, that's a Pennsylvania town. And in order to like football. Uh, 
But anyway, her husband and some of his buddies from four generations ago own a lodge up on one of these mountains. It's like their their testosterone deer hunting lodge where the guys go up, you know, every one weekend a month and blast stuff and drink and God knows what else. And, uh, well, they, they own the property. They essentially own the mountain. But it was useless except for the lodge. So some firm comes by back in the, uh, in the, in the when they were, everybody was doing the, uh, the you know, the Bakken oil kind of thing. And they say, well, there's oil here. They're natural gas. So they sell the rights to the place. And the, and the people had to, they had to come in and they had to make their own road with the stipulation that when you get all the oil out, you had to take the road out and put the trees back. So they ended up paying these guys, you know, like 400 grand or something just for the contract. Then they had like two years where they, they had to start uh, doing something or else the contract was null and void and they could sign it with somebody else. But at the last minute, they end up starting to do something. So they put the road in, and they put these pipelines, Kevin, they, they put them right on the ground. They're like rubber. And, and they go across other people's property, and you got to pay those people. And they get to wherever you can either get them to a truck or a train car or, or another pipeline. They did all that stuff, and I don't think they ever, when oil went down to 30 or 40 bucks, I think, I think they tapped it all in. They just didn't do anything. They never, they never, got, a, never got a dime out of the place. And, they, and I, I don't know if they put the trees back where the road were. I lost track of it. I hope she's not dead. Uh, the, I mean, what, what, there's a, there was a map, an uh, interactive map on the, on the Internet. Even I found it. It's probably around someplace. Maybe a guy like Greg really knows this story. It showed the uh, increase in fracking over a period of like three or four years in all the parts of the country. It was going to start in southern Illinois, huge, where they were, re- they were reinforcing bridges so these big trucks could get over them and stuff. And it was going to be really big in all the way across Pennsylvania, all the way to northeast Ohio. And it showed for four years in purple, all these places growing, growing, growing. Then the next four years, they all just left. There was nobody left in Ohio. They, they retreated through half of Pennsylvania. Southern Illinois, I don't know who spent all that money. They, didn't, they, never, they never did a fracking thing down there at all. I mean, it, it really got amazing just, just with the price of oil. It had nothing to do with the politics of it, I don't think. It was just the price of oil. Went from was it, well, it was like ninety, then it went down to thirty, and everybody just closed up shop and all this stuff. One of the well, positive I, yeah, I, I think that was you know, I, I think that was going on at the time, and and actually, I think uh, that, that some of the other countries in the world were looking and saying, well, we you know we have the uh, uh, we have the drilling set up already, so there is no marginal cost or no uh, capital expenditure cost to get to get for them to get the next barrel of oil out of the uh, ground whereas in the US people had to set up um, and and it was worth it for quite a while for them to be you know putting in new drills acquiring new leases drilling more uh, and and building out the infrastructure but when the price came down enough then it it was no longer worth it um, and so yes that shut down a whole lot and I, I think there's you know there's kind of this cat and mouse game going on and has been going on all along that says okay we slow down US drilling we can jack up our prices a little bit more prices go up drilling starts we can drop our and I think that lasted for quite a while now is that the way it is now obviously not we have you know we have much higher oil prices right now than we've had in a long time um, and, and and that may be in part due to you know to the US uh, you know, canceling a lot of leases. There's a lot of forward, you know, forward-looking stuff 
going on in the U.S. that would suggest that we're not going to be pulling as much oil out of the ground as we have been historically. So, you know, I, I think, you know, as you as you look at it, that's sort of how the competition works in there uh, to an extent. If you're, uh, you know, uh, obviously there, there may be some price fixing laws and some uh, dumping, you know, dumping considerations and things like that that come into play. But by and large, they're just trying to, you know, the uh, competition is trying to say, where can I price this so that um, uh, so that they stop, uh, you know, slow down produ- uh, production in the U.S. Well, it's they may be doing, they probably have that thing in mind, Kevin. But I, I, I constantly reiterate one of the most basically bleeped up things that people who maybe don't to, haven't taken as many economics courses as they should have. There, there's a real lot of uh, monopoly, cartels, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say that out of all the stuff we deal with on a daily basis, oil is about as competitive as you get, even though all this stuff is going on behind the scenes and people are always trying to be, you know, OPEC. and all, People are always trying to do it, but there's 21 countries or something that, that uh, export oil. I mean, it's really, really hard to maintain discipline in, in that area, and uh, you know, yes, are people? It's but people will, will will bitch about the price of gas and, and these dirty cartel people. And yet, when they flip on their light switch, it never even dawns on them that there's a real monopoly. <laughs> I mean, it's it, you know, what I'm saying I, I I'm not a fan of oil, you know that, but but to a, to a huge extent, it's very competitive. I mean, right now, I just said what what what's uh, what, what did I just say Arbob was? Arbob is uh, this is a new. Wholesale gas in New Jersey is two twenty-eight. All right, I just paid. There, were, there was gas in Indiana coming back from apple picking last week. I missed it three twenty-seven. I think I paid three forty-five. Taxes are ninety-two cents. Okay. Yeah, it was three nineteen here earlier yeah. in the week. It's so, now it's three forty-nine. It, it sounds like maybe ten cent, maybe ten cent a, pro, a gallon profit. Oil is incredibly competitive compared to a lot of other stuff we do. It just, it just so you go. It just so happens that when you go to the tank, it's the only probably other than food pricing. It's the only thing you do where you're staring at the price the whole time you're buying it, right? It's it's a mental thing. Well, and and, and we drive by it. You know, how many times a day do you drive by yeah. it? Well, Flip, what you were saying, Kevin, though, is absolutely correct. I don't know. I mean, your your economic roots are coming to fore. What is it going to take? Take the government out of it. Take. Goofy Joe out of it, and whatever people's view are, energy in the future. The whole point is, there is a field there. I think there's some oil in it, and it looks to me like from my satellite shows and whatever else I can do, maybe there's a maybe I can get. I used to listen to all these guys at these oil at these shows, all these oil and gas people. It's the most Kevin. It is the most fascinating industry. If you and I didn't do what we were doing right now, one of the, one of the most amazing livelihoods would be in the oil and gas business. It is fascinating. In terms of where the field is, the closest—how do you get it to where it's supposed to go? How many barrels? What kind? How deep you got to go? I mean, for, if you and I were sitting there going, "All right, we got we got a field with 50 million barrels in it. All right, what's our cost of production? Well, for the first year or something, it's going to be—we got to put this much in it. If we get this much out of it, the first year, here's our our, our financial, our runoff on our long-term financing, and we're gonna—it's going to return us." 15% a year if we're if we're lucky at 80 bucks a barrel. All right, what about if it's at 70 bucks a barrel? Yeah, we still make some dough. How about at 50? Uh, we're out. 
What about at 120? Now we got now we got something going. I mean, to try and predict this out 15, 20 years when you're borrowing the dough and you don't even know the, the rates on the borrowing just tripled. I mean, when you, this is an incredibly complex problem for anybody, for engineers, for financial financial analysts. How can you lock in that kind of money? Who's going to give you a 30-year thing for an oil field you haven't even drilled yet? Maybe somebody, but what are they going to want for it? Your, your left nut? Maybe. I mean, it's, this, it, is, it is fascinating, and, and people kind of toss around these decisions like they're easy. They're not. We've seen, we've seen oil in the last three years, four years, Kevin, 30 bucks to 110. How the hell do you make a decision whether to invest in that industry? I wouldn't. <laughs> well, well I mean, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> somebody's got to do it. And there are people with expertise in the industry who I suppose can handle that. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. That's, um, you know, I think that's it, it's the challenge of the industry, and it's why they make so much money sometimes. Well, yeah, and, and when the year they do make money, everybody's bitching at them. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I had a real quick, because we got to get to Carl. I, I bumped into this one guy at one of the uh, uh, these money shows, and they were trying to sell investment parts in this piece of property in Alaska. And it was, they knew there was oil there. I mean, they've known it since 1955 or whatever. But it was a million miles from nowhere. And uh, Amico, uh, Standard Oil had it for a while. They sold it to Amico or became Amico. Then they sold it to somebody else. It must have changed hands four or five times. All of a sudden, somebody somewhere decided the state, they put a road within, you know, whatever, 10 miles of the place. So now it became somewhat okay for you to actually put some kind of a maybe on the ground pipeline or something and to build some kind of a, a thing where you could at least truck oil out of there. And all of a sudden this thing was like in play. But it was, Kevin, it was 25 years since somebody originally bought it. And, it was, and now, now they're trying to figure out, okay, how much oil really is there and how much it's going to cost to put this temporary pipeline in. It's a, it's a big deal. It already, it already sold three or four times to people. But it, this, it, the, the industry is so complicated, it's, it's off the chart. But it's fascinating to me. Just saying. I don't know why we got off on this topic, but it's, it's a. But for you to, for you and I to get in there and so, okay, you two geniuses, ratchet up to twenty thirty five. What's oil going to be? You know, there's people who thought it'd be two hundred by now. It's not. How many of these fracking places are out of business because they thought oil was going to be one hundred twenty by now? They're not. They're not even doing it anymore. It's nothing to do with Biden, right? Oh, it has something to do with. Biden. Oh, something. Yeah, well, it has something to do. With, <laughs> I'm with you. I need confidence of these people, but it, this this industry. If ever there's an industry that's bigger than government, it's oil. Just saying. All right. Anyway, uh, who do you like tomorrow? It depends on the game. Which way? Which well, which we got to at least talk about the Irish for a second. And who do you like in the World Series? Um, I I like Arizona. I just don't know if they're going to win. <laughs> but I like the way they play. So uh, uh, so I'm hoping they win. As far <laughs> as the Irish, they're playing Pittsburgh. They should win. Pittsburgh looked pretty good last week, though. Was the week yeah. before? Okay, so they have their moments. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I hope Arizona wins too because when they were murdering the Cubs, I, I kept thinking they were really good, and the, the Cubs weren't that good. But I, I thought it was more them being good than the Cubs being bad. So far, I've been right on that. We'll see if it lasts another series. Okay. Just saying. All right. SP Futures only up five now. We're leaking. Uh, Nasdaq Futures up seventy-eight. Real quick break. Back with Mr. Carl Deniger. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. 
A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello, Rumpack Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tim Allen. Greg Pappas on the board with a great, a great tune. Uh, what, who'd, who'd give your life for Brother Man? Was that, that, was that the... Was that the uh, would Shaft? Carlwood. Yeah, Carlwood. He'd give his life for Brother Man. Oh, I don't know about that. What was what was the, what was the line in there? Was it uh, who's the man who, could put, who? You have to you have to get the lyric out for me, Greg. Now I'm going crazy here. Who's the man who would give his life for Brother Man? And John Shaft. It was a great. Anyway, Richard Roundtree, one of my favorite actors, uh, died this week. Uh, what are dropping? The old guys are dropping, aren't they, Carl? Well, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> So one of the things that's that uh, getting older tends to do is you start you know you start reflecting on stuff like that because all these people that you used to you know know I mean musicians and stuff like that you know people you listened to when you were a kid right yep. you know they were older than you were yep. duh yeah and uh, that means they die before you do on average uh, and that you know that kind of thing starts happening who's the man you know, who would risk his uh, neck for brother man. Yep. There you go. John Shaft. Who's the cat that won't cap out when there's danger all about? Carl. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll see about that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> On that note, say so. <laughs> Pick well, a topic. <laughs> uh, so, so I got a couple things. Uh, you know, you were talking about the GDP report yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah, Maven. I was, I was Maven. What is that all about? Well, so... Uh, don't uh, don't take uh, don't take this as necessarily a uh, gospel here because I just uh, you know I dug through it yesterday briefly and and just like threw up and said okay this is obvious garbage and <laughs> but the uh, the price index for domestic purchases was three uh, percent yeah. uh, if you believe that yeah uh, yeah okay. So I mean that's you know there it is. Um, the other thing though is that there are some very interesting pieces of of data in here. Um, one of them is that the uh, disposable personal income number was down by two thirds over second quarter to third quarter. Uh, that is a big deal. And the other problem is is that uh, real disposable personal income, in other words, adjusted for inflation, was actually down by a percent. And it was up by three and a half in the second quarter. So that's, that is a very, very nasty deterioration. Right? And of course, real 
disposable personal income is all that matters when it comes to consumer spending, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, and I, you are. Yeah. Uh, you, you, by the way, you're an interesting company. Uh, Diamond and about five other big guys in the last week of also the guys, the guy from Walmart, head of Walmart, all right. saying that in October the consumer seems to have hit a wall. And I still, I don't know if it's a huge amount of it. I still have to bring up my point that uh, 200 and what was it 42 million people or 43 million people sending in an average of 286 dollars a month student loan check for the first time in four years has to have taken a chunk out of October. Um, so billion, I, uh, billion dollars. Yeah, I mean it's uh, yeah it's not a small amount of money, right? But here's but here's you know everybody wants to try to harp on on this as you know oh well that's terrible it's going to do terrible I didn't say it was terrible I just said it was it was money right right but I mean you know that's that's what you hear from the everyone on the left right this is so unfair that they actually have to pay back the money they borrowed um okay (laughs) can can we can we stop with the nonsense about how we ought to be excusing people who made bad lifestyle decisions and there shouldn't be a cost for this because it, we are in the mess we're in across the economy because of that. I mean, that's the reason for all of it. All right. When you, I mean, you look at you look at what happened in the first, you know, the first couple of months when you know when COVID showed up, right? We we all knew within the first you know month and a half, two months, that there was this wildly crazy risk stratification between who got a cold and who got whacked. Oh yeah, and it was not. You know, it would. I mean, you know, we've known that this kind of thing happens with certain viruses for a long time. I mean, chickenpox is, a, you know, is a it's an example everybody knows about. Twenty five times more dangerous if you get it when you're an adult, which is why your mom took you across the street. My mom took me across the street and intentionally infected me when I was a kid. And that was the reason. There was no vaccine. There was no option other than to get it. And your choice was, well, do you want to get get it and be miserable when you're six? Or do you want to get it and maybe die when you're 30, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, um, since that's kind of the way it works, uh, we, we all chose to intentionally be given it when we were six. And our parents did that to us on purpose and made us miserable for a week because, you know, that was better than being dead. So, this you, you, you always had the calamine lotion. Well, yeah, and, I, and and it was nasty. Yeah. Okay, right. I mean, I, I remember getting it. I, I remember getting it because the... The, the person who gave it to me uh, happened to be one of the better off families. They actually had a color television and we didn't. This this made actually going over to Matt's house kind of cool because we got to watch cartoons in color. And on our TV in our living room, it was black and white. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, hey, color beats black and white, right? Uh, they, they also had a bumper pool table in the basement, which we didn't have either. We, we didn't have that kind of money. We had ping pong. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, ping pong is supposed to be one of the best things for uh, uh, best things that fight Alzheimer's. Well, you know, I uh, so you know they they we had ping pong. They had a bumper pool table because they had you know they, they, they had a nicer house. We we had a very pedestrian house. They had a much nicer house. They had more money than we did. It's the way it goes. Um, but the thing that was that was that's interesting about this is that when all this when all this started, we all knew. And then within a within the first month or so, then the New York coroner started publishing data that made very clear that, it, and this held for a year, by the way, Chief, that if you did not have 
one of a list of a pretty short list of medical problems that the that there was literally you could count the number of people 85 years and older that didn't have one of the one or more of those problems that got killed by this virus on your fingers. Oh yeah. Well, I agree. Okay. Now we're talking about people that are 85 years old. All right. Now granted, as you get older, you're more likely to have one of these problems, right? But but the fact that that this was not age, age was not the stratifying factor. It was a, a relatively short list of maladies, nearly all of which are caused by your lifestyle. Skinny, nearly all. Skinny, skinny people die too. Well, I I understand that. I'm I'm just saying that if you look at the, it wasn't just obesity, right? But I mean, it, you know, the list was was relatively. I mean, we all we all know what they are, right? Okay, obesity, type two diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, I mean, there were there were three or four others, and and. Uh, asthma was one of them, and asthma is, is not under your control for the most part, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. Uh, and so there are, you know, there are a handful of things that, that, yeah, okay, you know, that's just bad luck. But the vast majority of these things were fixable, or at least controllable to a large degree by the general population. We went through nine months after the original wave came through. We all knew what those things were. They were widely published. Everybody talked about it. They were all in the statistics. I talked about it. Everybody else talked about it. Nobody was trying to hide the fact that these were the risk factors during the initial year of this thing. And yet, nobody did an effing thing about any of it. Well, I mean, we can we can beat ourselves up over this one, like, forever. And I, I by the way, I'm, I'm with you on this topic. I, For me, the idea that I, well, I ended up, I had to go to a hospital for a test. The only time I wore a mask, that's when I caught it, was in the hospital. Where well, I yeah, well, and yeah. that was the other thing. Was yeah. that in the first couple of months when this thing was starting, I, I, I noticed this pattern that you'd see this thing about outbreaks in a hospital specifically. Oh, yeah. In places where nobody, at the time, there was essentially no community transmission of the virus at all. And 10 days later, that area would get Hammered in the CDC statistics. They were they were one of the biggest. Well, that's where it was all getting handed around. Well, there was there were there was a hospital in New York. I was reading this article where they, this you know administration management you know whatever, they always seem to make these decisions that cause problems. Nobody ever like dots their eye. And I'm not a violent guy, but they had they talked about this shift in uh, in uh, New York where they had like this the COVID area. All right, and everybody, right. nurses and everybody, they're in there with like the hazmat suits and the outfits and the whole bit. And they, after they said, "Oh, you got two hours left on your shift, go, go do, go do something in the cancer ward without." Right, right. They the gave outfit. it to all the people in the cancer. Yeah, ward. they gave it to all the people in the cancer yeah. ward. I mean, one of my, uh, I mean, you want to talk about someone who's actually screwed and you know has a hosed immune system and is the last person you yeah. want to give a virus to? That would be them. One of my friends is in uh, he has his buddies. It's an interesting group. Won't go down that road. Uh, we're into these nursing homes, right? And right, and uh, it's it's an interesting industry. I won't go into that too much, but uh, everybody moonlights. So they right. get, they, and, and the weird part about the, well, there's a lot of weird parts about the disease, but the uh, a lot of stuff I read, Carl, and you probably say it's all screwed up, but there were people that were like super, super spreaders. Right. And I, I don't know why that is, but they, they actually, I read somewhere that they think that out of all the people that got COVID, 
like 90% of them got them from 10% of the people or something. It's some, some ridiculously high. Where if you had chicken pox, you gave it to everybody. I mean, it, 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 right. But the, this, these guys had a nursing home, and some guy came at night after he worked in a hospital shift, and he served dinner to people. Yeah, and he gave it to everyone. He gave it to like 25 people in one night. Yeah. Well, there's, okay, so there's a new study that just showed up. I've got an article in the queue on this, um, and, it's, and it's nasty. Um, and it explains some of this, and it's not, boy, there's nobody's going to want to take responsibility for this one. Um, what it showed, and it's, a, it's, the methodology on it's fairly solid. I read through it relatively quickly, but I didn't see anything obvious that looked like a problem in it. Um, so what do we tell every single older person to go get every year? Flu shot, usually. Correct. Okay. And we run around every nursing home in the country and we stab every person in there with the flu vaccine for that particular year, whatever the formulation is. And sometimes it's a fairly decent match and sometimes it's not. But the, but the efficiency of actually preventing you from getting influenza is not very good. Okay. Um, by, by the supposed rules under the FDA, you need to have at least 50% efficiency in order to be licensed. And there are some years that we meet that, some years that we don't, but because of the inertia, there's never, no one ever goes back and retrospectively says, well, you can't, you can't sell that unless you can prove that it actually does what it's supposed to do. Well, you never can with, prove it until it happens, I guess, is what well, the attitude but, is. You, but, you, but, Chief, if you looked at it over the, uh, retrospectively over like a 10-year period, it would fail. Well, okay. I mean, for, for, critique me here. Essentially what they do... Well, we, we're gonna. It they just, try to guess. They try to guess what the strains will be because they don't know. Well, it it, ju- it just was winter in Australia, right. South Africa, and God knows where else down south. So they went through their winter season, their allegedly flu season. So right. they, they picked the top three strains that were down there. Figure people be flying on airplanes other places. And oh, by the way, those are going to be the, the top three strains in Chicago two months from now. And that's what they do. I, I think that's it's, it's as simple. Uh, yeah, as it's a, that's essentially. There's yeah. I mean, there's surveillance that goes on all year long. Okay, and so there's. I mean, and that's. It, it's it, it, there is a process that, that at least theoretically makes some sense. Okay, and then you know, and the, and it takes time to make the thing. Obviously, so uh, you know, you have to make your decision like in in April and May. What you're gonna you know what you're gonna have in this thing that you're gonna start stabbing people with in September. Because you have to make it, and it's and it takes time. So that's you know, it's, I mean, it's it's just the the inefficiency of reality. There isn't any. I mean, it's not malicious. It's just the way it works. But the the overall efficiency over time, uh, if you were to to, to, to uh, take a ten year running average, you would not meet licensure standards on an average basis. You just would not. And so, but because we've used this thing for so long. Nobody's ever going to go back and say, you got to take that off the market. It doesn't work. Um, and, and so that by itself is of questionable efficiency. But this new study says that in exchange for this questionable efficiency, you are 4.4 times more likely to get a non-flu virus, respiratory virus. Uh, the marketing, as you well know, the marketing is... Is and I've heard it, like you say, how many years out of the last however many I'm around. The marketing is the flu shot this year did not necessarily match up with the flu that's here 
Right. You still have less of a reaction to it if you take this shot than if you don't. And that's the part I always wondered, is that true at all? Um, not stati- not statistically significantly, no. It's not. But it's sure part of the marketing gig. The, it it is, we, but... Even the, if we miss, we're, you're better off. I don't know if you but are. St- well, statistic. If you, if you ignore the p-value, the statistical significance of the results, then yes. Yeah, well... <laughs> but you're not supposed to ignore the p-value of medical trials, right? You're supposed to pay attention to them. Uh, but the but the nasty in this study is that it makes you more basically what it does is it shifts your immune response towards the strains that you were inoculated against, and therefore you become more likely to get something else that's a respiratory virus that isn't the flu, that isn't influenza. So then when COVID shows up, which is not an influenza strain at all, it's a completely different respiratory virus. We actually, by the data in this study, we made those people four times more likely to get screwed by that virus. Um, well, that doesn't surprise me. Well, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, because that's not cold. That that could whack you. And and who do we bias these shots towards? The people that are most ill and you know and most elderly and most likely to get whacked by a virus. Uh, oops. Yeah, I'm kind of so, I'm kind of off getting any of these shots. Well, I you know uh, it, nobody's going to be talking about this one, but this is this is actually written up in an academic medical journal. You're not going to be able to argue with it. It's there. Someone, you know, I'm sure people will take shots at the methodology, everything else. Like I said, I I read it briefly. I haven't gone through it in detail yet. I didn't see anything that stuck out and said, okay, this is BS. Um, and so you know, it, and it did pass peer review. I mean, you know, it got out into the publication. So I mean, you know, there's at least something to it. Um, but it, yeah, so I mean that's that's kind of interesting. But what I, what I wanted to go back, uh, uh, why bring this up in the context of the economy? Because it's all part of the same thing. Right? We all want a magic bullet for that which ails us. We are not willing to take our medicine when we need to take our medicine. How how much you know? You look at what happened with all these people. That, well, I was coerced to take this this shot because I was going to lose my job, and you know if I didn't. And then, you know, and then you have something really terrible happen because of the adverse effects, which, by the way, we need to stop calling things side effects. Right. If they're unwanted, if they're nasty, we need to start, we need, we need to, because words mean things, okay? And the way that you shift public opinion to conform with reality is anytime somebody uses phrasing that has been designed to, to mislead, you stop them and you make them change it to the words that actually describe what's going on. So, uh, you know, you cannot actually have a sex change operation because that's physically impossible. You can have a cosmetic procedure that, that adds breasts to your, yeah. what I used to be know. your chest. Right. Uh, but, you, but you cannot have a sex change. It, that's, that's anatomically impossible to do. Uh, same thing here. These are not side effects. They're adverse effects. I like because, the ones where they, where they say, uh, this, well, there's a lot of really dumb things people have said. If the drug comes out in the air... Um, here's penicillin. Does all this for you. By the way, you shouldn't take penicillin if you're allergic to penicillin. How do you know until you take it? I mean, is that <laughs> How do you d- know unless you take it? Is, right? is, is that the dumbest line? You, you shouldn't well, take it. A, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. If you had anaphylaxis the last time, maybe you shouldn't take it again. It's, um, like, it's like saying you shouldn't have sex until you had it before. I, yep, uh, it is, isn't it? And and so you know, I mean, we have, but we have this within the economy, in the general sense too. All right, everybody. 
everyone and their brother, the, the number of people I have seen in the financing finance industry to some degree that are screaming about higher interest rates and trying to claim that, you know, that, for example, the cost of a mortgage today is, is oh, it's ruinously bad, it's terrible, it's, 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 it's you know, credit card, it's terrible. Um, excuse me, uh, if you're older than about 25... Um, you don't uh, you don't consider a seven percent mortgage to be unreasonable for thirty year money because you had one. Uh, right. Okay. But well, the, but the and, prices were nowhere near where they are now. That's well, I understand that, but you know you know why everybody's scared of this because they they know that the the what the expected reaction of this and what should happen is that the prices should go back to roughly where they were back then, right? Yep. Um, well, gee, that's bad if you just paid five hundred and sixty thousand dollars for a two thousand square foot house, and in a in a market that has reasonable rates, that's a two hundred thousand dollar place. Exactly right. All right. Well, guess what? Um, excuse me, I've got an HP twelve C here, which could very easily take the payment that you would have paid at you know two percent or three percent, and take that same payment, run it at seven percent, tell you what the principal value is. Um, the obviously the connection, Carl, is that when you run prices down or interest rates down, you favor prices go up. Uh, you favor people that own assets and own stock. And those well, are the, right, those, those are the people that are running the Fed and running the company, the country. Well, I, yeah, I understand that, Chief. But here's the here's the big problem that you that you know that everyone has that nobody wants to talk about, and nobody wants to be honest about when it comes to that. All right. You take a look at what's going on right now in the in the corporate world. Everyone's a genius when you can borrow for effectively free, all right? Because you don't actually have to pay anything. Well, if, if everybody could, nobody'd be a genius. But the fact is, only a few people could. Well, that's but that's the way it always works, right? But all your large corporations that don't have to put their own personal assets on the line to do this kind of thing, or don't have callable loans, I operating. You know, one of the reasons when I ran MCS, I had every banker in the effing state in Illinois, trying to solicit me for operating lines. Okay, I mean, it was constant. And the people that we used... So it's, Pullman was the same way when we were there. It was, it yeah. was you know, it, and and the the actual bank president, I won't name him, I won't name the bank either, but that we used for our regular checking account and stuff like that, he was on the phone with me at least once a month, all right, trying to get us to take one. And I never did. And the reason was that in the early 1990s, when I was doing contract work, and we were doing, there was a earlier version of MCS that uh, that sold PCs and service, and so basically what we did was we put PCs in people's businesses, and then uh, our claim to fame wasn't that we were absolutely the cheapest guy out there because we weren't. It was that if you had something go wrong with you know your secretary's computer that was doing your word processing or whatever have you, uh, in, you know, within four hours it would be fixed because I would show up out there with a box of parts in the back of the car and whatever was broken got replaced and it was fixed. And that was, I mean, that was part of what we sold was that was, you know, we were unique in the marketplace and that we could do that in Compaq and IBM and those guys couldn't because they just didn't have the staff. It's sort of uh, like the guy selling you a new car that if it's in service, they give you a loaner. Yeah, I mean, it was the same sort yeah. of thing, right? If it's in service, you know, you it, your car broke, well, gee, you know, here's a car to drive, well, we fix yours. And so we did that kind of thing, and uh, I had a, a customer of mine, very nice guy, uh, ended up being a, a fairly decent friend. We used to hang out play golf and things like that every now and then. And uh, he, had, he had a nicely profitable little business with about 20 people working there, a uh, little manufacturing outfit. And uh, when the when the early 90s 
recession hit, um, he had an operating credit line. The bank called it. Yeah, and it wasn't because he had. It wasn't because he missed payments or anything like that. And it wasn't because the company was unprofitable. They just called it, and he was instantaneously screwed. He was unable to replace it with anything, you know, at, at reasonable operating, you know, opportunity, right? And and he was done instantly. And and I was like, and I mean, that stuck in my head because you know he he went from hero to zero literally in an afternoon. And it was not his fault. Well, the uh, you, you you opened up another chapter, and essentially the theme of the week. You think anybody can ever listen to my show for five days and even wonder what the theme was? Well, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I think it would be impossible. Greg, do you have any idea what the theme might be? It. Uh, shaft. 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 <laughs> here comes the shaft. Here, come, here comes the shaft. <laughs> God, <laughs> how appropriate! But it, the uh, these decisions that everybody thinks everybody can make and when you have politicians talking about the middle class and even the student loan stuff yeah I mean, it, it all be- comes down to the basic stuff people make decisions ba- based on assumptions now the assumptions sometimes are, are you, you make are bad but sometimes they're pretty legit and they're based on what other people do right. not, not what you do so if, if you if you blow up in one of these deals it isn't necessarily I'm going to say your fault you maybe could have made a better assumption or whatever. Like when I was talking to Kevin, how, how would anybody try and figure out whether you're going to go out and make it a, raise all kinds of money for to open up a, a new oil field or to put, put stuff in an existing oil field or whatever and try and predict what is the price of oil going to be every year for the next 20, which may, may take you that long to get all your money back and make profit. Right. I tell you, you know, these, these decisions people make with houses, and I'm going to be... I'm going to be somewhat sexist here, but but it could go. It could obviously go either way. Now, people talk about, especially people older than me, would say, "Eh, what's the problem? You bought this house, too much money, too much this, too much that. You made all these bad decisions, and now you're broke, kid. You know, if you just listen to me, blah blah blah." Well, I, I never, I never got married. I should have probably somewhere along the line. I had a couple of ladies, I should have, and uh, whatever. It's a, it, that's neither here nor there. But the fact is, people. Get out of college, they get a job, maybe go to grad school. You 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 hack around with the guys for a couple of years. You find a girl, or you may already have one from high school or whatever. You get you get the apartment downtown. You drink State Street Drive for a while and have all the good time you can. All of a sudden, you got a little one, and now you go from the one bedroom to the two bedroom in the apartment building. Right. Then you get another one, and you go, wait a minute, we need a backyard. You go someplace. The the timing, you don't get to predict. The year at which it's your term to become—I'll use the term—become an adult or become. Now all of a sudden you're, you, you need a place. Or that's where, right. That's and, the and that's the way it always works. But when your when your parents did it, when my parents did it, you bought you bought a place for. Uh, well, my older because my stepfather, and my dad died. We're another long story, but they they bought a house in 1958. Okay, and it's a bungalow. Uh, they paid 18 grand for it. Um, and my mom had saved up a few bucks, because my stepfather never did, even though he had a decent job. So they put down 20%. So they put down, you know, 3600 bucks, which is a lot of money in 1958. And he went. He ended up going to uh, grad school, but he was a bright guy. He was a C, it wasn't a CPA, but he was an accountant. He went on a G, GI Bill to DePaul, so he had an accounting degree. Every year he got promoted. Every year he got a raise. And I'm going to say by 1962, uh, the inflation rate was probably... 
two percent. That's what the Fed is always talking about, this magical two percent. It was maybe two percent, and the average guy could have been a lady. In those days, it was mostly guys working, but it could have been a lady. I'm going to say they're getting a three percent raise. Right. And, and the inflation rate's two, and by the time 1965 came around, maybe 19, even 63, the mortgage payment is, is half of one of his two paychecks. Right. You know, it was an absolute perfect economic world that we keep trying to get back to. But the problem is we never seem to get real wages up 1% higher than prices. Well, well, but you can't because the thing is, is that we, you know, Chief, remember how this, you know, how this all came about originally, okay? After World War II, we'd blown up everybody else's stuff. Yeah. All right. I mean, the United States was pretty much the only untouched Western economy that actually had factories that were still in one piece and weren't lying, you know, lying at busted up bricks. It was a tremendous economic advantage that's never been probably seen or heard from again or will be. And, and, and never will be because now if we have a war like that, somebody's going to cook off a nuke and we're all going to burn. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that, well, we can, and we have these people in our government that seem to think that we can play this kind of game, uh, you know, in the, in the context of what's going on in the Middle East and, you know, oh, it won't blow back on us. Oh, yeah, all right, good luck with that, guys. I, I got news well, for Carl, you. Well, Carl, let's finish the break. When you can be... Come back. I I think we could not. We could get something. We're not going to ever have that Nirvana. I think we could do one hell of a lot better than we're doing, though. I honestly believe that. Yeah, um, but we'd have. But we have to make some adjustments to to how we deal with certain things, and we're and we, not willing to do with, any of it. Without a doubt, and the student loans are part of it. Those well, are, and the medical system is the nine hundred pound gorilla. They're the they're there. Loans are there. The, the dichotomy between Amazon getting money for 2.5% and you and I having to pay 12 when we all think that jobs come from smaller businesses and yet you do everything you can to screw the small business, that's got to turn around. There's a few things here that have changed, my friend, and you and, you and I, we, we, may, we agree on what they are. I think a lot of right. people have, have, would have a brain cell working, agree on what they want. Now, which one you do first and uh, you know how you do it might be up for debate, but we all seem to have an idea of where we need to go, and we're just not getting there. S&P futures, hey, we're back up 17. We're only up six for a second, so we were almost back to unchanged, but now we're reloading to the upside, thank God. As they futures up 125, be right back, Stocks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Mark Bay, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 18. Nasdaq Futures up 123. 
key Fed inflation gauge rose 0.3% as expected in September. Man, oh man, if you believe that, believe I'm going to be a jackie in the seventh race today, for God's sake. Uh, just saying, just saying. Dow futures down 18. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the uh, we got these guys bouncing back pretty strong over here. Finally, after a really an awful week, the Nikkei is up 389, 1.3 percent. Hang Seng up 354, so they popped back over 17,000, 17,398. They were under 17. That's a two percent move. Shanghai up 29. That's a one percent move. So Australia shares are closed at a one-year low. So I mean, it's not everybody that's celebrating whatever it is we're celebrating here this morning. Yesterday, Dow down 251, S&P down 49, Nasdaq down 225. So a Fibonacci reversal would be two-thirds of that. So two-thirds of 50 is what 34. Uh, so we're not nowhere close to that. We're like we're like we're like one-third back. It's 16. So we're not Fibonacci's still in his in his grave as of now. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down five. Call that flat. FTSE down 18.2 percent. Kick around down 71. That's a full one percent. So not any, not really any celebration over there. Bonds up two basis points, 4.86. Still threatening to go through five. They went through five Monday morning, but they've been hanging under there the rest of the week. One down one basis point, 2.84. Japan unchanged, 0.88. Oil, uh, surprising in all this world uh, conflict, it's still 84.79. I, I think a lot of people would have predicted it way higher, and it's not. It's it's up a buck 58, but still lower than it was a couple weeks ago. Rent up 169, 89.62. Natural gas up 16 cents. That's a big move. That's a 5% move. Uh, 337. Uh, our Bob is up three cents, 229. Gold down three bucks, but still 1994, hanging right by knocking on 2000. Silver unchanged, 2291. Copper up four cents, 363. That's the one that's been kind of laggard uh, compared to the other two. Bitcoin down a whole seven bucks, 33,993. And the US dollar is up slightly with the euro down to 105.4. The British pound down to 121.1. Greg, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. A lot of traffic, not good air, sports, yeah, yeah, stuff. Traffic isn't terrible. We got um, 738 right now, 65 degrees in Chicago, 71 today, straight thunderstorms. Phoenix, 67 right now, about 87 today, mostly sunny there. Traffic, inbound Kennedy from Montrose is 41, inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 63. See, told you, not, not so bad. Uh, better than 84 yesterday and inbound Ike from Wolf is 27 with Ryan uh, to the interchange is 23 and inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 27 minutes NFL Bucks lose at Bills that was 18 to 24 and the World Series starts tonight game one in Arlington that's all I got Chief back to you I was at the old Arlington uh, park in Arlington that was a really nice place and no one no one's got a roof though right Am I still on? Hello. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, no one's gonna. I, I, mean, I went down and I uh, worth the extra cost. Yeah, Carl. I saw I saw a ball game. Actually, I went in uh, September, so it wasn't hot. And just you know, back when the world was like it ought to be, there's a hotel there, so I stayed in this nice hotel. And I, and I went for a tour of the Cowboys Stadium, which is really something. That place is really something. And uh, so I'm in the parking lot, and the guy goes, "Hey, you're going to the ball game, baseball game?" And I go, "Yeah." This is back when you actually had real tickets. Right. So, Are you talking uh, about AT&T or Arlington? Uh, the, the ballpark at Arlington, not the new one. Uh, well, no. now, wait a minute. We still have real tickets here. Where? At well, the, it's double-A ball, but... At the, at the, at the minor league soccer? <laughs> it's it's double-A ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I go, uh, what do you got? He goes, these are really good. And I, he goes, uh, they, were, they were like 40 bucks. And he goes, you got 30 bucks? It's yours. 
I was second row behind home plate. I was, what, what great seats. I'm sitting, it was like a couple other people around me, nobody there. I mean, they were out of it, but what a, what a nice park. And then, and of course, now yeah. they got a new park. But uh, anywho, back, back in so, the day when you could actually, I, I, I can't go to a game now. I, I would never, I never get tickets in advance. I just went there and got them. I'm, uh, I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, well, you know what? That's what I do here with the, with the Smokies, which is, which by the way is a Flubs, I mean Cubs affiliate. Oh, that's right. You guys are the, uh, the double A, right? Yeah, we're the double A affiliate. And and actually if if you want if you actually want to go see baseball. I mean, you know, like you remember it when you were a kid. Like the way I used to go see it. I mean, I I remember Al Kaline. Yeah. You know, being able to throw guys out from the outfield. Right? With yeah. no cutoff, right? Yeah. I mean, that was that was that was the signature play. If you if you got to see him do that, you really that was like, "Oh my god." Well, if you went <laughs> if you went early enough, you saw him warming up, you saw him doing all morning and batting been playing. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing yeah. stuff. But um, so, yeah, we still have that around here because we have that we have the double A park. They're moving it down into Knoxville, which is going to be terrible, I think, because number one, it's I'm sure the price is going to go up substantially, um, and uh, the the six dollar craft beers are probably going to be ten. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You'll have to pay for parking. Yeah, I mean, it, well, you have to. I mean, it's five bucks now, but you know, so what? Uh, but what I you know what's nice is I can. Most of the time, I mean, every now and then, you know, not the case. So you get a, a holiday weekend or whatever. But I can walk up to the, the the box office, you know, an hour before the game, and I can get seats behind the plate for eleven bucks. Yeah, it's a. I, I mean, it's you know, I mean, you can't beat that. All right, and it's and it's baseball. I mean, okay, it's double A, but it's baseball, and it's and it's real baseball, and it you know with the. You've actually got a play-by-play call to you know the the you know the electronic organ and you know all the stuff, right? You know we should it's, be you know we should be this weekend. We should be doing uh, stacks and jacks down from Scottsdale. We should be going to watch two games a day in the winter league or the fall league. Well, there there you go. So here uh, here's here's another underlined bullet point on all of these schemes and scams and how they screw you. Okay, when you think you're getting something. People don't ever want to don't ever want to bag on. And, and by the way, the company most implicated in this is one that happens to be one of the high flyers in the market today. It's still a high flyer. Um, got a study here that was done. What? How much do you think it costs if you have an electric car? If you have a Tesla, yeah. What do you think the actual equivalent cost per gallon of gasoline? If you were to have, if that was not an electric car, if it was a gas car, you were putting a nozzle in the tank. Um, what do you think the actual cost would be if we got rid of the all the cross subsidization that Elon Musk has managed to steal from everybody in the country? Well, the, the, the firm would never have made a dime if they didn't have the subsidy. Well, uh, well not, uh, there's a reason why the firm would have never made a dime. And I'll explain. Uh, well, uh, every time you go out and buy a regular pickup, he gets a check. $17. Chief, Chief, how much do you think? Oh, somebody read the F and study. That's in the background. I heard that. That's Greg. He's not in the background. He's our producer. $17.33 per gallon of gas. Wow. Okay. So if you actually, and, and by the way, that is apples to apples because when you buy the gasoline, you have paid all those embedded costs in producing the gasoline. Well, sure. Plus, uh, right, plus a myriad of taxes. I don't believe studies, though. So, I just... well, I don't either. But you know, and you know what? Um, everybody, everybody has their biases, right? And sticks their own stuff in there, and uh, and comes from their angle. 
But what this points out, I mean, and they actually annotate and go through each of the, the various components. And one of the biggest ones is that when you plug that EV into the, into the wall, you have paid zero for the additional build-out of electrical capacity and infrastructure necessary to charge the car. And yet, when you buy a gallon of gasoline, you paid for all of the infrastructure necessary to you know, get the oil out of the ground, refine it, and get the gas to the station. Well, if you put the thing in your garage, you paid for it. At least that part of no, it. No, 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 no. Pay, well, you paid for the charging thing on the wall. Yeah. Okay. But you didn't pay for any of the build-out of the infrastructure in the electrical capacity to supply it. And the whole reason that this works in the current paradigm and that you can do this and get away with it is that the penetration is so small that no one sees it. Uh, the term would be economic externality, correct? Well, yeah. And here's, but, you know, this was one of the things when I was building out MCS, this was one of the things that we had top of mind all the time. Because when we started, there was nobody that had internet service. Zero. And so we were using, you know, you, but Illinois Bell, if you made a phone call more than, it was, it was zones, it was about seven miles from your central office, oh, yeah. you got charged by the minute. Yep. Okay. So you paid a nickel for a call no matter how long it was if you were within that seven mile, and it wasn't from your house, it was from wherever the central office was that served your house. So, you know, your exchange, your first three numbers um, after the area code, you know, determined where that came out of pretty much. And so and that's how that worked. So what we and what we were doing originally before we had virtual virtual circuits, uh, which showed up later, was we figured out where those highest density places were, and that's where we put our equipment within those exchanges, because that meant that all the people within that seven miles could sit on the internet for five cents for as long as they felt like being on the internet with their dial-up modem. If you were beyond that, you had to pay by the minute, and all of a sudden it got expensive. So th this was, you know, th you have to conform your business model to fit within the realities of the economy that you live. And then later on, we got the ability to do virtual points of presence, and so then we had dial-up numbers, we had like 200 of them. <laughs> so basically the deal was pick one that had the same first three digits as your phone number. Well, there was, there was a reason why my first job at Allied Van Line, since I was a financial analyst, was supposed to know something. I was out in Omaha in one of my first b business trips. Everybody used to have all their communication equipment in Omaha because that was a center of the country and you could minimize your watts lines. Right. If all your stuff and that was, was in Omaha. Well, yeah, because those were billed by the minute and by the mile. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so, you know, we had the. I mean, but this kind of planning always goes into everything, right? Oh, yeah. It, but what we have done is we have, we have put so many distortions into things in the economy. And then we've allowed selected groups of people and selected individuals and selected industries to profit from that, but everybody else who wants to potentially compete in there gets screwed. Right. Well, we, and we're, so, we're making little monopolies. and We're making it so hard for the people who we allegedly want to do well. Every, every president in the last five that said they wanted to help middle class and small businesses do everything, everything they possibly could to, to bury them. Yeah. Well, and these and these people, you know, I mean, if 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 you get down to it, if you look at at essentially all of the issues that we have today, from a budgetary perspective and everything else, 
uh, you know, I, I put an article up last week because the MTS finally showed up for September. Uh, MTS made the balance sheet for the government that's right. the, for the year. The, the finally, the final month one for September finally showed showed up after uh, after I got uh, you know after I got off the air with you guys. That uh, so you know it came out over the you know over the weekend, um, and, and you know and I got that done. Um, but here's here's the reality of it. Okay, we had one point six nine five trillion in deficits ending fiscal year ending in September thirtieth, um, up three hundred and twenty billion or twenty three percent from the previous fiscal. I know that's a huge increase. I remember Biden's Biden's calling card was he's cut the deficits. He's cut the well that blankety blank he did up twenty three percent from last fiscal to this fiscal. Uh, that's obviously a lie, and and oh by the way, uh, during a decent part of that, uh, you know we had this gridlock because there was no speaker, right? Which is now gone because that's now been remedied. Yeah, so now we got Mr. Right Wing Speaker. Right now we have Mr. You know, well, and and of course the first thing he's going to do is add more to the deficit. Uh, 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 why are we a, a leader from the great state of Louisiana? <laughs> well. Yeah. Net, net interest was was six hundred fifty nine billion, or about thirty nine percent of the whole thing. And within another couple of years, that's going to be eclipse everything else. All right, and that is the point at which you get a fold. Problem, of course, with markets is they never let you actually get there. They always figure it out before it actually happens. Right, so there will be a fold back in the market if we don't stop this. And it will be extremely violent, much worse than 2008. Anybody that thinks that 2008 is is similar to what we're going to see, if this is not stopped, you've got rocks in your head, folks. This is going to be 1930s level bad. All right, Carl, uh, the big difference in the deficit piece, and I've been asking, axing everybody I can over the last three months since you pointed it out to me. Now, now Professor Hale is uh, on, this, on it as well, if you saw his breakdown. Uh, well, he just b- broke it down in a graph that makes it easier to look at. But um, the has to be one of two things, and and one of it m- must be we're talking about the receipts. If if you look at the the job numbers, I don't have it in front of me, Carl, but I'm going to say we got what a million five more people working than last but the, year. But the receipts are going down. Well, there's a million five more people working, and allegedly everybody's gotten some sort of a raise. Right. If the receipts are going down, so my it has to be one of one of two things or a combination, or else if you can help me out here. One is you've been talking about how the increases in employment have mostly, I use the term mostly and you correct me, have been part-time. Right. Okay, That's so, correct. I, so those people do not, depend, depending on how part-time you are, you may or may not be a W-2 or a 1099. So if you... If you but, if, but if you're a 1099, you're still going to have to pay. It just doesn't happen until uh, the end of the year. Yeah, it doesn't happen until the end of the year. So, right. So, so you, you can say the federal government between June and April is going to get a big bunch of checks from people. Maybe. 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 Have, I guess we could hope. The other, though, Carl, and I, I took another cut at it the other day. If you recall, the interesting one was the, the May to May number, or the April, the one that had the, the tax thing in there. Right. Uh, that Hal pointed out on the little chart he sent. Not that you and I didn't see it, but it, it, uh, the the big the big happening was in the month of April. It was dramatically different. Right. Well, that's, well, yeah. What I, and I'm going to guess month April and May. 
I'm going to say it might have been due to the fact that the market totally crapped out the last three months of last year. Yeah, it, but there's there's another aspect to this, though, Chief, that's a little interesting, and that is that, you know, the employment report has two elements to it. It has the establishment survey and the household survey. Okay, the establishment survey does not capture any 1099. I, I, I get it. I, when, when, when I'm searching. So, so, the, so the problem here is that if, if, I mean, the establishment survey is a fiction if, in fact, that's all shift. All right, well, you, you, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do here. Uh, with my good buddy is a certain guy named Carl said to me, this is really screwed up. If all this stuff, everything's going so good as everybody says, how are the tax why, receipts? Why do we have this shift? Right. Why, why right. do we have tax receipts less? Right. So I'm sitting there going, well, I know Carl's not wrong. I'm looking right at it. Uh, what, what could possibly happen where this could, I'll say, happen legitimately? Well, and it's, it, uh, yeah, and the answer is you'll see it in April. Yeah. Well, it, it could be that because people took a lot of tax loss selling last year, yeah. maybe, and, and all of a sudden didn't pay the capital gains they had to pay the year before. I think I think one of the key pieces here is that I didn't go back. I need to go back another year when the market was well, really I, up. Yeah, I th- yeah, Chief, I think there is there is something there. Okay, and this is, but this is one of the things also that happens with a lot of these prognostications is that people people expect that uh, yeah, the market's going to go up ten percent every year. And therefore, everyone that takes money out, uh, for the most part, is going to have a capital gains bill. Right. Right? I, I mean, you know, when you, when you cash your investments, I mean, now, you know, the stuff that's in a, in a 401k or IRA, uh, you know, you don't, you don't pay it there. But you're going to pay that on ordinary income when you go spend it, when you take it out and spend it. Right. Um, so, you know, one way or another, those taxes are going to get collected. If it's in a taxable account, well, then, then you know, No, no, not if, if, if you... If you croak and give the stack to your kid, you know you never, you never get it. Well, that's true. He gets a stepped-up basis. Um, so yeah, there's you know, but but that well, but then you have to die. Then you're not spending any more money and you're not uh, paying any more tax, right? You know, you one time with your estate and that's it. Assuming that you're big enough for it to you know. To there's there's people. I have I have some clients that come out of these companies, Carl, and their, their basis is like two, and the stack's one fifty. Oh, I know. And it's a big I, difference if if all of a sudden. I don't. I don't want them croaking, but I don't know if their kids might be ready to push them in the grave. Well, chief, I'll tell you what. My my mother had some physical certificates that my dad had gotten. That when you know when things got a little tight, she's she's like, hey, you know, how do I how do I actually sell these? <laughs> that was a lot of fun, and then and then it's like you know doing the doing the tax return on that. Trying were to you, were the, you trying able to sell them? Yeah, it, it took some doing, but then uh, then the fun part of it was. You know, it's come tax time. It's like, well, what was the basis in this? You know, your right? your, your 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 favorite regulators, the people that we do. Deal you, with? Do you know what? The, do you know what the, the effective, for all intents and purposes, the effective basis was zero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we just we just took it as zero because that was safe, and and oh gee, she got screwed on. You know what would have been you know like twenty five cents worth of adjust. You know, split adjust. You, you can you can approximate <laughs> it, on the on the on the year that. The transfer agent should be able. To, you should be able to figure out when this certificate was issued. Yeah, but I'm just saying that when yeah. you, when you got down to it, it was so small that it wasn't worth it. Yeah, probably close. You know, so it was like worth. okay, it, it's it's 100. percent I mean, and, and obviously it's long term capital gain. <laughs> you realize that uh, if if somebody were to walk into PTI today or any other brokerage firm with a certificate they found when they cleaned out their parents' house, we would have to immediately 
almost accuse you of being a money launderer. Physical. Oh success. yeah. This what what the you you know I don't I don't really have a problem. I guess I do have a problem, but I don't have as much of a problem with with a bunch of bureaucrats that I you know some of which I wouldn't mind drowning. But um, if they just weren't so, I was going to say something really bad, but if if they had any kind of balls whatsoever, I mean I don't have a problem with with a bureaucrat coming up and saying. Uh, by the way, all, anybody who has a physical certificate now, you'll never be able to sell them. No brokerage firm will take them unless you have a big account there. And by the way, we're going to accuse you of being a money launderer out of the gate. I don't necessarily... I have a problem with it, but if they were to take the Wall Street Journal tomorrow, to the extent that people still read it, and say, by the way, we have decreed that if you have a physical certificate in your house, you're a money launderer, at least take the blame. Don't put it on me. Right, right. Oh no, I know. You know, it was. I mean, I'm sure a, a huge part of it was the fact that she was, you know, 83 when. You know, yeah, and she didn't have an account. When, when, yeah, and, and you know, and, and so I mean, it wasn't all that tough, right, to to deal with it. Uh, you I know, mean, I, I mean, if you walk in tomorrow, IB IB won't take a paper certificate. Yeah. Oh no. Or RBC was, RBC might. Merrill Lynch. It was. I don't it was, know. It was. It was a little bit of fun, but it wasn't an impossible problem. Uh, how many years ago? Uh, well, this was pre-COVID, so this would have been uh, like seventeen. Worse, worse today, sixteen or seventeen. Worse today. Oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure much worse today. Yeah, but it was. I mean, it was. It was a significant pain in the butt. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, but we got it done. Well, if if, uh, if you, no, here's and, so and I'm not going to lob anything at you here, but you do some consulting work for people. If yeah. you were to, if you if you were to say, uh, instead of paying me, you know, ten thousand bucks, give me. You know, a million shares of your stock at four, at four hundredths of a cent, where it's now pay, it's now trading, and the guy does. In ten years from now, that's worth a million bucks. Try and sell it. Try. And oh sell yeah, it. no, that that'd be all sorts of fun. Yeah, yeah, especially if it's a pink sheet stack or something. You're yeah. immediately you're immediately a crook. You're immediately a money launder. All you did was some consulting work. Yeah. Oh no, I know. Well, so one of the things though that so you know I mean you've seen what's happened in the market the last yeah you know, the last few weeks right. So a lot of a, a lot of what's happened with the rate moves, however, has been hidden, still hasn't come to the fore, and in corporate America is going to slowly do it over the next ten years or so, because corporate America, unlike our treasury, uh, had some brains in their head, and when long-term rates were very low, they went out and they issued fairly long-term debt in the, in the debt markets. Yep. Well, until that stuff rolls they're insulated from the higher rates. Okay, now not on their operating lines, not on stuff like that, but on their longer-term stuff, they actually they actually used their heads. Treasury, on the other hand, did the exact opposite. They rolled everything because, oh by God, we can't show the interest that we would have to pay on 2% money for 10 years. We want, we're going to take 1% money at one year. Yeah. Well, that's stupid beyond words but that's what treasury did was they rolled everything into the short end of the curve and so the impact at the federal level and to a large degree within state agencies as well because they were dumb and did the same sort of things uh is is coming home to roost now whereas within corporate america it's going to happen over the next five to ten years as those older issues roll off and they uh, have your, to your be mid-sized firm, your mid-sized firm is saying some of those were already rolling off. They they, they weren't out, weren't able to go out as far. Yeah, but the but you know, but the apples of the world were. Oh sure, and did, 
Okay, and I mean, you can take a look at, you know, the deals that they announced at the time. Of course, they don't make a whole lot of noise about it right now because everyone knows it's a sort of Damocles that's hanging over your head. And when those things mature and are going to have to be repriced, interest expense is going to go to the moon. Well, plus your fallback position of the banks and stuff aren't, don't seem to be stepping up for a lot of people. Well, uh, you know, it, the, the other thing that, that gets me is you've got all these people running around talking about mark-to-market losses within the banks, and it's like, look, those are in the held-to-maturity part of the portfolio. And, yes, it hits operating earnings because you could, have be, you could be getting 5%, but you're getting 2 <laughs> Well, <laughs> right? you know, I think here's... here's but unless you have to sell it, you're going to get the 2 until it matures. I know, but you, you, we, we need we got to go. we got to take that up as another issue because... The idea that the Fed sells people these, this stuff at 1% and 2% when everybody knows that within the next five years it's going to look like crap on your balance sheet. For them right. to come up with a rule and say, don't worry, you don't have to tell anybody about it, that sucks even more. I have to tell everybody about it every day. In my, in my account, everybody else is here. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, this is just... This is one of the reasons that the market has held up as well as it has. Well, okay, but, but it's, an ar- right. it's an artificial... Oh, I know that, yeah. but you know, you, but you know what that means, Chief, is that the reality is that the the forward PE on the S and P is is half of what it is being advertised as. Well, I, I, what I'm saying is, you you can cloud it all you want, but if some if someday the European Central Bank has to go sell that crap they bought, they're selling it out at forty cents on the buck. That's yep. the reality of it. To try and hide it. You know, it's it, it, come on. It, it, it's like a fat guy getting 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 the, the big huge, you know, shirt with the with the vertical stripes instead of horizontal stripes. You, it's still there, right? Absolutely. And you know what? And it's going to happen, and it's coming. And that is one of the reasons that I, uh, you know, I look at what's going on in the market right now, and I say that this thing's levitating on air. It's in a, it's on sitting on top of a bubble, and eventually you're going to find if the, if the Fed kept the money supply at a two or three percent growth, and we never had these swings, we wouldn't have these problems. Well, but that's not what they did, and and uh, you yeah. know, it, 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 they are the they are a creation of Congress. Congress issued their charter; they can revoke it, and Congress wants to see that the numbers they, be what they are. They the the every time they do this, the same level of people make money, the same people lose money. It's being done on purpose, I think. That's, how's that for a shot, Carl? Take care of yourself, buddy. Enjoy your weekend. SP futures up twenty, Nasdaq futures up one thirty two. We're going to go from seventy degrees to forty in three days here, and I guess we're going to have winter. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to find out. Yeah, we're, we're, we're our uh, forecast, we're supposed to have freezing temperatures over uh, Halloween night. Really? Yeah, so we're actually supposed to frost, get frost. Frost on the pumpkin, as they frost say? On the, maybe frost on the pumpkin. Well, while I'm sitting out there handing out candy, I'm going to need that beer to keep me warm. Absolutely. Maybe it's going to be whiskey instead. Maybe a little hot toddy. <laughs> take, That's right. take care of yourself, Greg. Thank you. Say SPV is up 19.50, and SPV is up 129. Let's stay up today. Enough bad days in a row. Back on Monday, Stacks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727.
DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.